Microphone checker, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Peach Show. Before we get to this week's episode, again, I want to thank everyone worldwide who emailed me, texted me, called me, messaged me about the late, great, my grandmother, Grandma Premium, about her passing away. Let me tell you, it's never easy when you lose somebody like that so close to your family, the matriarch of our family, the glue. She supported me and everything. I love her. I miss her so much. And it's been a tough uh, you know, week and a half, two weeks for us as a family, especially losing someone during the holidays. And I'll be honest with you, social media, sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's amazing. So many people reached out who lost their grandmother or father or mother during the holidays and explained to me how tough it's been and sent their prayers and blessings and real talk. And it's so many different people, so many of my friends, so many internet. So, and, and honestly, I just want to say, I mean this shit. Thank you so much. Thank you for sending the. It means a lot. That support has helped me get by. Have helped me stay strong and helped me stay focused. And and it really means a lot. Uh, Internet. So let me tell you something. A, a, a lot of you guys, we spoke about. You know, the Irishman has came out, and a lot of people want to know my thoughts. And I put them on social media, so you could check my Instagram at Premium Pete or on Twitter at Premium Pete. And I want to say this. Uh, you know, it 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 was hyped up and. And it was it was cinematic, and and I liked a couple of the scenes, and uh, liked the clothing. But for me, it it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. It was three hours and change. I thought it could have been two two and a half hours. It had a couple good lines. I love the I heard you paint houses. I love uh, it is what it is. I loved a couple of scenes in there, but nothing that took away like a Donnie Brasco or you call me a Dunsky or the Goodfellas and Spider. Or, or 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 even a Bronx Tale. It didn't have as many, you know, scenes and lines that we took with us and still use twenty twenty years later. Um, I I could sit here and say, let's look at where this movie stands in five ten years from now. Now a lot of people told me, don't go into it thinking it's going to be like a Goodfellas or Casino or Departed or other movies that Scorsese has uh, uh, directed. And I understand what you're saying, but at the end of the day, when we think of mob movies, don't we think of those? So, Internet, listen, let me know what you think, you know, at me on Twitter, at me on Instagram. Let me know what you think about The Irishman. But I'm saying it's good. It wasn't great. Uh, my brother Ronnie Fogg put out three and a half stars out of five. I think I'm going to agree with that. Let me know if you agree or disagree or your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit me up on Instagram. Um, listen, another thing I want to say is when I tell you to open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show, and check the fuck in. I love when people check in. Internets, I, I really appreciate y'all. You know, it's funny, Premium Pete Show, you never know what's going to be on. Restaurateurs, entrepreneurs, DJs, producers, legendary hip-hop artists, young hip-hop artists, uh, people from, from all walks of life, okay? And one thing I will say is that I am blessed to have an audience that is really fucking good people, man. Like, people who send me love, uh, who I send love, who I fuck with uh, since the Combat Jack show days. Rest in peace to my brother Reggio say Combat Jack. He's always watching over us. And now I feel with Grandma Premium gone, I got two angels that are really special to me and near dear to my heart. Um, you know, when I tell you to check in, everybody checks in. Russia, Jakarta, Australia, uh, Belgium. I've seen people from London, Paris, you know, in, in Detroit, California, Oakland, Boston, you know, New York, everywhere. So, you know, so I want to thank you. And, and let's continue that. At Premium Pete, at Premium Pete Show on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, check the fuck in. Let me know where you're checking in from and let me know what you're listening to. Okay, I love when you tell me like, you know, yo, I'm listening to this episode. I li- I'm from here. 
Send me a picture too if you you know uh, of where you're from or whatever. Whatever you feel like doing, internets, reach out to me and let me know. Okay. Also, I want to say this. Okay. Make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes. You know, subscribe, rate, tell a friend, leave a comment, suggest an episode to somebody, but continue to tell a friend to tell a friend. This week's episode, we sit down with the one and only Mark Birnbaum, an investor, an entrepreneur, and another one of those episodes of a restaurateur, somebody who had visions and dreams and turned them into reality. We had his, uh, uh, who I consider a friend, we had his uh, co-founder, his partner, Eugene Remon, who uh, is a co-founder of uh, Catch and Catch Steak and Rumble. That was a great episode, so expect nothing less from the one and only Mark Birnbaum. Uh, I mean, he speaks about owning the club 10 June and then opening up Catch and his failures and his and, and his father and, and, you know, having him inspire him. So many things. Listen, the guy's an investor, like I said, a restaurateur, an entrepreneur, and most, most importantly, a good person. So, Internet, I want you to know about him. If you know about him, let's learn more. If you don't, okay, let's learn about him. Internet, I present to you the Mark Birnbaum episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheer. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is Fat Man Scoop, the other smooth voice of the club, the two-time Grammy Award winner. Let me make this official for you. Fat Man Scoop, Cork McClan, Internets. It's time to go with my dude, Premium Pete. Let's get focused. Let's go. Internets, let's turn up one time. Premium Pete. Come on, everybody get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want the scoop in the low down. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. I am finally sitting down with uh, a very, very good fella. And you know, I say that a lot, but there are certain people that I feel have made a lot of stride and have created a lot of great things. And we just talk about how much we love food, how much we love people, well, good people, you know. And conversations or meetings couldn't be better than if you're at a nightclub, than if you had a restaurant, than if you're just you know meeting up with people to discuss any type of business. You would probably see what I'm talking about with this gentleman. Now, I don't ever want to mess up your last name, so I'm just going to say Mark Bourbon. Is that close? close? Okay, I mean, it's German, so you know. If you're, if you're from Brooklyn, you're, <laughs> you're, not, listen, you're not starting listen. in a good position. It's Birnbaum. A okay. lot of call it a lot of call it Birnbaum, Birnbaum. I've heard them all. About- and then if I get a call from some company uh, in India that's telling me about my phone bill, they don't ever get close. So <laughs> Burn- listen, Birnbaum. Mark listen, with a K, simple. Big Mark. Big Mark is in the building. <laughs> yeah. So many things like it's funny because your career and it's still obviously going, the journey's still young, has been in the nightlife, has been in the hospitality group. Has been in, in in just an entrepreneur, uh, uh, I guess a restaurateur. I you know I, I wish we had another one that could rhyme with that, but definitely entrepreneur and restaurateur, <laughs> investor, but, investor. There, there we go. go. That's a, that's three the hard way. Yeah. For people listening who don't know of you, or, or the people listening who know you, I always say this: they're going to learn a little bit more. People who who know of you, they'll learn a little bit more. People who don't, you were born in in, in New York. I was born in Long Island. Yeah, not yeah. too far from here. To mom and dad. Uh, I was born to um, in North Shore University in Great Neck. My parents are still married, fortunately. I God think bless. now 40, uh, 45, 46 years now. And um, I have a younger brother. 
and I stayed local. I was a Long Island kid, grew up there, um, went to upstate New York for college, to Ithaca. Um, I got to participate in Manhattan activities, you know, in both a young age of culture, like going to museums and theater. Um, I was into acting at the time when I was a kid growing up. So I was really into, you know, the arts. And my mother um, is an art history major, and she taught me a lot about culture. Did you um, like, did you like like you know some kids are like ah museum I don't want to go to a museum did you like going to the you know I think I went through waves right like I wasn't into the Met but I love natural history mm. um, then there was a specific exist, exhibit at like say the MoMA that I was really fascinated by and then other times I would be miserable but on Saturdays and Sundays that's what we did we came into the city you know not every weekend but we went to a matinee. Saw a Broadway show. Some of the musicals I fell asleep. Some of them, like Les Mis, I saw three times. <laughs> Depends on what it was. But, um, you know, staying in the East Coast my whole life until now, I wanted to touch Manhattan more than anything. You know, and, and the hospitality business, I think I was probably interested in then without realizing that it was a business. You know, so when it came time to throw a party, our senior year of high school, um, after prom parties they used to do, you know, you have like your prom in the city and then the kids would go from the hotel that it was in to some teen club. You had to sell tickets. I was the ticket seller, you know, and then I realized, wait, if I'm selling tickets to this place and making like $10 a couple, which is more money than I got a week in allowance, let me do it to the other high schools. Why Why are other people allowed to sure. do it? So I was, became a gatekeeper. I'd find other people to, you know, I'd split the rip with them. I'll give you five, I get five. Were you but hyping access, it up? Were you hyping, like, what's going to happen here? Or? Yeah, I mean, look, everybody wanted to go to these places. There was only a few of them. But the access is what I found to be important. Now everyone's calling me to get the access to that. So it was something that they already wanted to do. They just had to go through me to get it. And I got paid to do it. So I was a gatekeeper immediately. So <laughs> That's classic. I enjoyed doing that. And my brother took over when I got older. And he was in, left in high school three years later. He was the gatekeeper. Um, in college... We would promote parties in the city, you know, for the college kids that were at normal nightclubs, whatever lounges. We thought they were cool. They probably weren't. But, um, you know, getting guest lists at the door, you know, $10 a head. I'd come down, you know, five times a night, check what's my list look like, what's my list look like, and getting and recruiting people to bring people. And that was all it was. I mean, that was the, on, uh, you know, the intro to the hospitality and nightlife business without even really realizing it would be a career at all. You know, I sat down with your partner and friend. Eugene Rem, a yeah. great guy, you know. That's my brother. Yeah, you know, he's a. There's very few people that you can <clears throat> always just automatically tell they're a good guy and they they come from a good place. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, honored to call that guy uh, a friend. You know, it, it's even more special for you creating all these things with him. But at the end of the day, he had a story. Obviously, I remember hearing about like you know he was working for what BR group, BR guest yeah BR guest, mm -hmm. but it's like you know. Forget about only just Eugene. What did you know back then about, like, you know, hospitality business or open up a club? Like, did you know anything? Like, it's not like when you were young and you said, yo, I'm going to open up a restaurant. Did you feel that way? No, yeah. never. I didn't even really go to nice restaurants or do any of those kind of things until I was way older. You went to the deli. We went to the deli, went to the pizza spot, went to the bagel spot, you know, the Chinese spot. Japanese food was sort of just coming in yep, when yep. I was in high school. People, the idea of eating raw fish and sushi was foreign to almost anybody. Um my parents only recently started eating like that, and I say recently, like in 20, 15 years ago, yeah. right? But um, we came from different places, Eugene and I. Eugene was a Russian immigrant, 
parents, uh, you know, it's just him and his mom and his dad. His parents, you know, went to a his dad went to a job every day and came home. My dad, on the other hand, was um, um, an entrepreneur himself. There's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it doesn't mean anything about having real money or not, but it's like two different mentalities. And I thought that that book was very interesting in the parallel of like my father would tell me, take a risk, go ahead, do your thing. Um, you know, dad, I want to do a snowblower business. Great. Let's do it. Let's get a snowblower, figure out the money. How much is it going to cost? How many driveways you got to do to break even? And then everything is profit. That's a conversation you have at eight, nine, 10 years old, whatever it is. It's impactful. That's awesome. Versus say, um, what they refer to as the poor dad in the book. Someone says, play it safe, get good grades, keep your head down, get a good job, be an accountant, be a lawyer, be a professional, be a doctor. And I would say that, you know, these two mentalities, when they come together, um, the conservative and the entrepreneur, but still the conservative may have entrepreneurial ideas. How do those two things fit together and make something that's great? Eugene is – I've always referred to us as the yin and yang kind of business relationship, partnership, and friendship, not just in mentality, in height, in all that kind of stuff, right? Tall guy versus a a shorter guy. They, we behave differently. We also have to, you know, realize how we come off. You know, the big guy in the room kind of has a certain target on his head, while a smaller person can kind of blend and become like, "I'm the sweet, I'm the sweet guy." And then, what do I have to do to be more like Eugene? And maybe what more Eugene had to be more aggressive to, you know, he always says, "I have to box you out," you know, to get to get in there, you know. So it's uh, it's been a, it's been a funny kind of, you know, whatever it was, um, but. That yin and yang is very important in business, right? Like I might have thought things that are insane ideas and he would bring me back down to center. He may come up with an idea that I think is just completely wacko and I'll bring him to my center, whatever that was. But quite frankly, the the the, the ideas kept flowing. The conversation, the arguments, the healthy banter, the 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 disagreements, all that stuff has produced where we are today. Not always good, good and bad. Good and bad results. I can convince him of something. He can convince me of something. But ultimately, um, you know, you can't see the future. So you hope that there is a counterpart and there's that yin to your yang that you can bounce ideas, bounce your thoughts, simplest things, colors of a drape sure. to a location to move to or to, 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 to take a space and start a new brand. Big decisions, small decisions. That That conversation has been you know, intricate in our success, sometimes a, a failure, and to where we are today. It's it's essential. I watch people that have, like, no business partner or no confidant or no – I would be very nervous to make decisions by myself without someone who I respect whose opinion is very loud in a room and can overtake mine in a real constructive way. You know, you opened up – and we'll bounce around because you started off, obviously, in open up nightclubs um, – some of the biggest people would come to these clubs and perform and, you know, it was special. And then you go into the hospitality group where, you know, and open up a restaurants and you think about how hard that is for people. You know, I like the way you put, uh, you know, being the yin and the yang. And I like, the, I, I really like the way you, you labeled of how keep an open mind. Like, you know, I wonder like that for, because it's like, what happens if you were like hard headed fully? And you're like, I don't like this or I don't like that. Like, I like the way you were saying that, you know, sometimes Eugene may say something and you're like, 
okay, I, I get what you're saying. Is that hard when you become successful or you feel some success? Because we live in a world today, keep in mind, somebody gets a little bit of success, like, oh, you can't tell me nothing. I think I've learned by example of what not to do um, as much as, if not more than what to do. There were people in my industry specifically that I watched and admired at a young age. I'm like, look at how cool that guy is, sitting in the corner, surrounded by security, celebrities, supermodels, sitting in that corner. They never talked to me. They never spoke to me. They never talked to anybody. But they were the cool magnet that brought everyone in. Now, at a young age, I want to be that guy. Ten years later, that guy's out of business. I bought his nightclub. <laughs> turned it into another one. That person never grew from that position. They believed that their shit didn't stink. They believed that they were so cool and so badass and so successful at their one thing that they're a one-trick pony. They get older. The people leave. Young bucks like me and some others came in to just chop up their business as much as we could. And we we were the hug your customer crew. And to be a hard-headed person in business is definitely possible. People are you know, very successful and very stubborn and maybe very hard-headed. But the reality is they're, they're running probably a totalitarian government of their own or dictatorship. We have never been that way. Dictatorships works for them. Democracy works for us. Mm-hmm. So I gave two examples yesterday to one of our employees who's been with a, a long time who was having a disagreement with another employee, both key guys, both good at what they do, both very different. To get him to figure out what was wrong with the other guy, I drew a six on the piece of paper, put it in front of him, okay? And I said, what do you see? He looked down. He says, it's a nine. I said, it's a six. It's a nine. It's a six. And I turned it around. I said, now what do you see? It's a six. I see the nine. Point is, both of us are right, right? You're but so we have totally that, different yeah. pr- perspective yeah. on what we're looking at. So in a conversation, I was like, he sees six. He just, He's right. You see the nine. You're right, too. But when you see it from someone else's position, perspective is everything, right? So to be hard-headed and just blindly think that you're right and everyone else is wrong, it's ridiculous. You have to listen. You have to you have to take in other people's thoughts, advice, opinions. And then as the owner or as a boss or as a you know decision maker, you decide yourself which is going to um, change your initial thesis or business strategy or flavor of the focaccia you know mm. some one person told me i think this would be great with rosemary one out of 300 said that not 150 out of 300 one and i said that's a good point go to the chef and say what do you think about throwing a little rosemary on this focaccia we've been working on for six weeks to get right oh that would be great that would be great Okay, well, let's try it. Then I survey, and everyone likes it better. And now it's it's the focaccia with rosemary, not just focaccia. That sounds good. Put put. Some, I, I know a lot about bread. I owned the, some bread routes back in the day. You put some olives in the next, forget it. Now we're dealing with rosemary olive focaccia. There's no end, right? But at some point, you have to make a decision, go with it, and own it, and still be open one month, three months, six months, three years later to adapt. Adapt or die, adapt or die. I mean, we say it all the time. Elevate or, you know, you're just, then you're just stale. So when we keep opening places and opening places, it's not because we have to. It's not because we sold to some fund that requires us to to grow. It's because we have to keep selling people and reminding people we are still doing new and innovative things that we believe that our demographic wants. And we always say we are our demographic. It's a big, it's a big part of our business. 
we're not trying to be people that we're not, right? We're not in our 60s and sophisticated. We're not any longer in our sure. 20s. So therefore, the nightclub business doesn't really work for us anymore as a pure nightclub business. Restaurants are demographic. Me, myself, as a customer, wants what I'm selling. You know, you and Eugene, I thought, did a great job. First of all, Catch is now in Vegas in the uh, area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Catch is in Playa de Common. Catch is in Los Angeles. West Hollywood, yeah. Catch is in New York. Am I missing any spots? Well, now we have Catch Steak in New York, Catch Steak. which yeah, we'll, is a we'll, city block long. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is crazy. I, you know, Watching the whole process of that come together has been amazing. But here's what I want to say. Um a lot of people who go to catch, it's like an experience. Um, you know, one thing I like about catch is I remember I've been there a couple of times, but I remember being there and it's like kind of like four or five people, like four or five tables. It was about 530. And then about like 550, you turn around and the fucking place is packed. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember even saying uh, my sister was in L.A. and she wanted to go to Catch L.A. And I think I, I hit, uh, what's that, uh, that Oscar or Chris or whatever. I hit them. Chris right Wallace. The- yes. Shots to Chris Wallace. You and know Chris Wallace is. My, my sister was out in there. I was like, you got to go to this fucking catch. And, and uh, made sure she get an appointment, uh, a reservation. Anyway, make a long story short, I remember telling my friend, who I also hit them for to, to get a table down there. In L.A. And I was like, how is it over in the L.A. catch? And he's like, bro, it has a fucking retractable roof. It's fucking sick in there. Mm -hmm. People's experience is everything. You're not only selling fucking food, which is tremendously good. And I'm not just saying that because you're here. Yeah. But you're also selling selling an experience. Well, we're selling um, exactly that. You're right, an experience. Um, Food service and vibe has been our catchphrase it's written on the hallways of our back of house you know to remind the employees to remind anybody who walks past it it's a three-tiered system food clearly you want good food service clearly you want good service nobody goes into a restaurant business and says i'm going to serve shitty food and bad service nobody and vibe and nobody actually says i'm going to create a real terrible looking place so in their head what i've just described is quite obvious to anybody right Marrying those three things, pulling it off, and then doing it in a unique way that is so substantial in the, in the experience that you talked about or vibe that we refer to it as means in today's world, the customer is going to do the work for us. What does that mean? Well, when Instagram named us or not named, just let us know, Catch LA is the most Instagram and tagged restaurant in the United States of America. Congratulations. I said to myself, our work is done here to accomplish exactly what we're trying to do. That doesn't mean we have to keep sit back and not keep going. It meant our hypothesis is in today's world, how do we get the word out or what I refer to as how can I slam the biggest rock into this lake to get the rings as far out as they can possibly reach beyond my inner circle? And the answer is to create an experience or an environment and a vibe and a unique location, design, whatever it is, the entryway of catch in LA, Vegas, and now New York, is something that people self-promote. I'm taking a picture of something because it's actually genuinely and authentically beautiful. If I'm taking this photo of myself, which is the world we're in now versus restaurant reviews only, they're going to go tell their network of thousands or hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of followers and whatever that translates to. But even just the word of mouth, if you call your friend, 
who doesn't know me from a hole in the wall and says, hey, I'm coming to LA. I'm coming to New York. Where should I go? What should I do? That's the number one question you ask sure. anybody in any city, sure. wherever you're going in any part of the world. Where should I go? And you ask a friend who's been there before or lives there. Well, I want to be in their list of the top three words that come out of their mouth. You got to go stop by this place, that place, and make sure you get by catch. Why? Is it just for the good food? Certainly not for the, just the good service. It's for the entire package. The food service and the vibe hits. And they know, if we've done a good job, that they've got a 100% chance of success of their friend saying, thank you for that recommendation. I had a great time because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, which is deliver that unique experience that you can't get in your own backyard. That is the mentality. That's the thought and that's the direction on all the things we do, partially because it's on a rooftop, partially because it's a giant space that's unique that you don't see every day. And then, of course, marrying that with good food, of course. But it has to be consistent from day one to day 2000. It has to be consistent from opening to closing and everywhere in between. You know, you, you uh, it's, it's funny you say that because Ace Rothstein, who was uh, the character There has to be the casino. same amount of blueberries in every Are you single, like that? To a degree. For, to well, a degree. Actually, let me, let, let me rephrase that for people who, who listen who may not know. In Casino, uh, Robert De Niro uh, <laughs> uh, went downstairs and, because he only had, there was only like one blueberry in a muffin and the other one had four. And he, he told the guy there needs to be an equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. The guy looked at him like he was fucking crazy. And he was like... So Do you I've, know how I've long that's that. going to take? I've watched that with friends yeah. who look at me and say, is that for real? It's, a, it's one of the greatest, most accurate descriptions. And it doesn't have to be about counting blueberries, but it has to be about weight of your breads that you're going to make. It has to be the size of your steak. It has to be the color of your vegetables. It, if I sent out bruised vegetables to you, it's gross. Mm. Or, or, or it's a bruised fruit. You don't want to eat it. So why is that? different than saying, hey, listen, don't put out rotten vegetables. Put out only the freshest. If it's good for me, it has to be the same for you. I brought the focaccia. If the focaccia is perfect this time, perfect the next time, and imperfect the third time, would I not say, hey, this one's soggy. This one's too oily. This one's too... It has to be the same. So that was a good metaphor for exactly what we do, but way crazier than that. Every single, it's not just about look at how many muffin, uh, blueberries you have in your muffin, how few I have in mine. It's every single crispy rice cake has to be the same texture and temperature. Every single hand roll has to come out immediately so that the seaweed isn't soggy by the time it hits the table, which means it didn't sit for more than four seconds after being made mm. and delivered. Mm. Talk about it. It means the frozen ice cream can't be over frozen in a hit me cake that people are taking videos of and have been seeing it all yeah, over yeah, the place. It has to deliver every single time. And Michael Jordan, speaking of our first customer, yes, yes. he said in an interview many years ago in the 80s, and I remember, I'll never forget it. An interviewer said, Michael, you're always dressed so impeccably. No matter where you are, you're in a suit, a tie, you look amazing. Everywhere you go, you look great. Why? You never like let your hair down, so to speak. And he said, because I realize that when I go out and I meet somebody, it's their first time, and they're going to remember it for the rest of their lives. So I got to deliver. First impression is everything. You know what? As we bounce around, let's uh, let, let's go to that. You recently just opened up Catch Steak, which is about three blocks away from Catch in the meatpacking district. Mm -hmm. You guys literally uh, are owning the meatpacking district. Now I say this respectfully, okay? You guys have succeeded in Catch, but. What the fuck? Are you, now you go open up a steak 
isn't that a lot of competition? For ourselves, you mean? For yourselves, you know, knowing that Lugas is in Brooklyn, knowing that, knowing that, and you're, see, here's the thing, besides catcher, you're a guy that visits these type of spots, you know, you're a guy that uh, partakes in different, you know, uh, for sure. We are, so, we're customers and lovers of those it, things. Yeah. So it's like in order to like, – it's not like you just like this came out of what, let's just make a uh, – let's do a catch steakhouse. And I, sometimes I was saying to myself, and maybe you'll be able to answer this, is why wouldn't you just put steak on the menu at catch? I know maybe – these are valid questions. Yeah. I'm trying to like figure out, you know, and then next, you know, I watched this thing come about. I watch it on your stories, on Eugene's stories, of this tremendous long block place turned into a beautiful steakhouse. You know, uh, opening night, you got Michael Jordan there. Jamie Foxx was there the night before. I mean, all your friends, not just people. We're not just name dropping. These are people who have become friends of the brand, mm-hmm. have become friends uh, friends of you guys. And, in, 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 you know, and we'll go back over that, you know, of, of when you're in the nightclub. But why open a, a steakhouse? I guess that's the question it's a multi-tiered answer first of all the space chose us right mm-hmm. the space has always been our favorite spot in 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 new york it was never done the way we thought it should have been done but that location irrelevant of what we have going on down the block is a 10 in our world right it's large it's unique and it has bones that are um not rebuildable. You're not going to find another place. You're going to go and build these retractable roofs, two floors, 20,000 square foot behemoths with a huge kitchen already built. So there's a lot of things there that were incredibly valuable to us. The entryway was there. We, we, we figured out how to make our world and our flow happen in that space. Moving over to what kind of food it is, steak, as you said, we're customers of steak, and steakhouses still are the most popular restaurants in not just New York, but in Las Vegas. There, you could, you know, the Las Vegas bosses of MGM said you could drop a steakhouse in any casino, and it'll be your number one ticket. You know, highest check average, most busy. You don't even need to have a name; just a steakhouse. Yeah, people do say when well, you go to a steakhouse. Yeah. yeah, and you know, we're not Italian, and we're not. You know, specifically, you know, we're not Asian. We're not that we're, we're Americans, right? So, like, we're we're guys that understand. Again, we are a demographic. That doesn't mean one day we can't do a really great, you know, catch Italian or something like that. But we want to do what we know best, and we want to do something that has an opening. And there's a real opening in the steakhouse um, genre, and that is every steakhouse you named, and you can continue to name more and more of them in New York or wherever you want to go are essentially the same with different names and different shticks, but they're all the same. They're big steaks, kind of gluttonous sort of sizes and, 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 and like, you know, just like big salads and big steaks and big over-the-top desserts. And it's the appetizer entree. Everyone gets their own thing and, you know, maybe a cup of coffee, a dessert, and, and go home. That's That's it. That's every steakhouse in America pretty much. And that was also true with seafood restaurants. There were fewer seafood restaurants, but they're all pretty much that traditional app. What are you starting with? What is your entree? What's your side? Go home, right? Um, and they've been around forever, the good ones. There's, there, there hasn't been a new one that I can think of that's moved the meter in any yeah, way. Right. Who's that, Del Frisco's? Yeah. That's Old Homestead 50, has been around a long time. These are Luger's, this Luger's, is Morton's, Morton, Mastro's, yeah. Del Frisco's, this guy, you know. So where's the new where's the new? 
There isn't. And there certainly is no new style of service within that steakhouse. So we catchified it. And what does that mean? Smaller portions. It promotes conversation. Lighter, fresher, healthier, a little bit more dynamic in terms of a menu. And now we moved into, okay, but we've got some money now. We've got some confidence. We we, we don't want to just like food cost, food cost, food cost. Let's, let's do the op. Let's give value. Let's buy and seek the greatest quality that we can find. And that may change, you know, every month there could be a new purveyor that's a new farm, a new this, that. The best quality of the meats and unique ones, a 28-day dry age rib cap. We're one of a very few. Kobe beef. We're one of twelve in America. One of that, two on the East that, Coast. Is that the uh, license and for explain, yeah, you gotta explain get it. it? Well, you have to apply essentially to the board of Kobe, Japan. <laughs> it's a town, not Kobe Bryant. No, and uh, we were accepted, and as a result, they sent us a big gold statue and certificates and all that stuff. And so you know, only twelve. Twelve in America have that license to sell actual from Kobe Japan wagyu. Mm. So, what else can be special? Well, the snow cow, the uh, snow beef, and the olive cow, and the emperor's cut. These are all things that, like, when you put it together, becomes more of that fun, that vibe. I'm going to try these things side by side and see which I like better. You like the snow beef. I like the olive cow. I love the Kobe. Okay. But it's a conversation, and again, it's just part of what we do. And there's a showmanship to it without being kitschy, cooking at table side. Mm. But then let me also give you the greatest pieces of steak you can get at the right price. And the portion size, instead of it being massive, they're smaller. That doesn't mean tiny little nothings, but smaller so that me, you, and two of our friends could each get bites of four different steaks and enjoy ourselves and not be deathful. Because I also want to try all of our hot apps and our cold apps and some of those sides too. And I'm not going to wheel you out of there after. Um, And at a price that is not gouging. You could build the menu how you want. You could make it smaller. You could make it bigger, whatever. But ultimately, I want to take you through that entire ride and that entire experience of beginning to end. And all of it with the small bites refer to it sort of as like the French fry situation or the Dorito situation. If you're hungry and I give you one French fry, you'll basically kill me for another one. Um, how do I translate that into an experience of a restaurant? Smaller portions. Everyone shares. You get your three bites and then it's gone. And you think, I wanted more of that, damn it. And then we hit you with another thing, and then you get the three bites. But you get this craving in your head that you need to go back for that thing that you had. True. And the crispy shrimp, for example, at Catch, which is super popular, yep. if I give you the whole bowl of it and you ate it by yourself, you'd probably feel sick and nauseous after. It's just too much. But as a shareable, and you're going to get your three or four bites, something in your brain is going to hit you and say, in a three days or five days, I need more of that. Yeah, i got to have that again. And then you go do it. Yeah. There's a lot of items like that in catch. You know, um, for people listening who heard the Eugene Rem story, you'll hear some of you know the beginnings and, and of how you connected and how things came. For people who are just listening now who may have never heard even that story, Mark Burbound, uh co-founder of Catch, uh, co- uh, what's the uh, group that you're- Now we're uh, Catch Hospitality Catch Group. Hospitality. But then mm-hmm. it's also EMM, which is you- Our first is M Group, EM, Eugene Mark. That's yeah. it. We incorporated just to be incorporated so we can go and pitch the W Hotels to be their next bar guys. And it's we a, want to do what idea. Randy Gerber did. Um, 
Yeah, our names were never the most uh, innovative and deep. But, uh, yeah, it was quick. EM Group. Then it became EMM Group because we added Michael. We, we took on a third partner, part, partner years later, invested in us. And so it was EMM Group. And then people knew it as that. And then Catch Hospitality Group came out because we sold half the business um, to Tilme Fertitta and the Landry's Group. Yep. And we didn't want to then call it EMM because it's – and we didn't feel like adding another letter. So it's like, all right, now we're Catch Hospitality because Catch is really what everyone refers to at the end of the day. First time you met Eugene, what was your thoughts? Your partner, Eugene Rem. I never forgot the day. You know, I was like, I know exactly what was going on. I was at my club lobby that I was working in. Yep. Uh, uh, I was 23, 24 years old, and, or, or 24, 25 years old at the time. I think probably 25. Um, and the story of how that happened is insane. I could try to tell it to you quick. but Of what? Starting the- uh, Where I even got into the nightclub business. Okay, I went okay. in finance and moved to yep. whatever. But um, we met. Because our friend Jordana, who worked at Coach, was at my birthday or was coming to my birthday and said, I'll come to your birthday, but I got to also go to Eugene's birthday. And this is not the first time I'd heard that. It was like a few times in. Because you have the same birthday. We had the same birthday, but I didn't know. This is another guy in our industry doing what I do downtown in meatpacking. I'm in 38th Street. And uh, I said, who is this dude that you're leaving my birthday to go to his birthday? Again, a couple times I've heard that tonight. Who is he? Oh, Eugene. He's like you, but the same birthday, but, you know, half your size. So you should really meet him. He's great. So I said, all right. And I went, I think, that night even to his birthday or the next day, and we met. And that moment on, we, like, we chatted it up, and he was telling me how he had, you know, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Derek Jeter at his birthday. And I thought to myself, well, I didn't have those people. What the fuck is this guy doing that I'm not doing? (laughs) And, uh... From a from a really early on start, we talked about it a little bit. You know, he came from a different background and how he was raised, but also he from his career path was different as well. I never learned from anyone. I never worked for anybody. Never wanted a boss. Never could have one. It's not where I'm the way I'm built. Authority is not good with me. Um, I watched Eugene implement the things that he learned from serious operators like Steve Hansen, Randy Gerber. Mm. Scott Gerber, um, he was a, he he worked for a PR company for a period of time. Even if he was just clip boy at that PR company, he he hustled. He made his own business cards. He did things that had that like he is a hustler sure. through and through in the street kid sort of mentality way, which is great. I came at a different angle. I just wanted to figure it out, throw the best party possible every single night, and not feel like I was a loser that no one was coming to their birthday. And I still feel like that today. I don't that has not changed. I walked through that restaurant. I looked at Eugene yesterday. And by design, we're only opening it like 300, 350 covers, okay? That place can do 1,000. That place can do 900 in a night. And I agree with the strategy. But inside me, I feel like a failure if I don't see wall-to-wall, hour weight, You're talking jamming. about catch steak. Yeah, but that's true in Vegas. That was true in Los Angeles each one of these years. I, if I don't see the boom that we call it, I, I panic a little bit. So, you know, watching Eugene work from his point of view, I really was like, this is a guy that can make me better. Um, so selfishly, I thought I need to connect. We need to do something together so that so that for my faults and for my missing um, just 
approach to this business in a more like detailed way. Eugene's always pointing at like his lists of things that need to be done. I don't make lists. He's always writing lists. He's always taking notes. I didn't take a note in high school. I didn't take a note in middle school. I didn't take, I didn't study for 10. This doesn't change. Okay. Wherever you are, you got to embrace where you are. But you know, I've also heard plenty of stories or read enough books to understand the best CEOs and the best, you know, most successful people have hired or have partnered with people that are better than them, smarter than them, different from them. This wasn't necessarily the forefront of my thought. Me and him just really liked hanging out together, frankly. And I also saw the difference in him that made me realize I could do my whatever I'm doing, he can do whatever he's doing, but putting those things together will make this a real force to be reckoned with. I saw it almost immediately. We figured out how to, you know, support each other. I, I moved on to a different nightclub down the street from him. I was at this place, Air. I'd support him. He'd support me. I'd support him. He'd support me. We'd go out on weekends. We'd go meet, greet, fired up. Dinners with Eugene for free. Awesome at Vento. Downstairs to Little V. Late night at Air. Perfect. Um, when 10 June came available. The club that you and him created. Yeah. We're both born on June 10th, so we called 10 June another opportunity presented itself. What should we do? This is our moment. We went into business together for the first time there, got our first entree into what a creating a steakhouse looked like with, with SDK. And the economy was hitting at the right time. The meatpacking was like just on the cusp of becoming a, 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 a thing, a district really for hospitality. And then that big boom happened, 06, 07. Right, oh five, oh six, oh seven. That was the the rush of you know whatever, and people were just buying bottles. So we hit it at twenty eight and twenty nine years old through our thirtieth birthday with Kanye West. We're on the map. Puff Daddy opened our club the first night with June Ambrose and her book release. Perfect storms, lots of perfect storms. How does how does how does like a lot of those things happen? Like how did they know about the place? How did they know they, to pick? Like how did June Ambrose, who for people who don't know, uh, does a lot of stylists? She 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 stylist to the stars. Yeah, and what yeah, stars I mean, are those? The hip hop yeah. stars and she's a, a veteran. Um, but Great. how does how does she pick this place? Wasn't it new at the time? Uh, it was our opening night. Well, okay, happened so, to fall. Happened yeah. again. Perfect storms. It happened to fall on basically our opening. And I don't remember if it was Cassidy or whoever was like, "Oh, you should do June's coming out with Effortless Style book." Or somebody told us, and we just called her and said, "Great, who's your guest list?" She's like, "Puff, J, B, Nas, Pharrell, Kanye, Penelope." There, I style them all. They're all in town. We're like, "Well, if only one of those people shows up." <laughs> We're good. Now, Puff hosted the opening, but also Puff hosted my opening of Lobby years and years ago with Zach Posen before anyone really knew who Zach Posen was. And from that, he, I, you know, I literally cold, cold called him, but in person at a club. and was like, hey, I've idolized you forever. And this is me at 24, 25. Didn't know him. Didn't really know anybody. I was like, Biggie and this one and that one and sure. Bad Boy and wow, what you've done. And now you're in clothes clothing and you're going to become the best designer. You're going to be the best. I believe in you. And I'm going to open in the fashion district on 38th street between 8th and 9th. And I know that the CFDA awards, you and Zach Posen are up for an award. Win or lose the club's yours. I just, I need help. Put me on the map. You're the best at it. If you could do this, I'll owe you my life. And he listened and said, okay. Called Jessica Rosenblum. Yep. Shouts to Jessica. Who I still know today. And um, Norma. And they'll sort it out. And from that day forward, Puffy was in my cell phone texting me, hey, I'm taking over your club tonight, Lenny Kravitz's birthday. 
He's dating Nicole Kidman. It's a big whole thing. Million dollar ring behind the bar. Him bartending it lost. Lock the doors. Lights on. Find the ring in the ice before anyone leaves. That's classic. But those kind of things happen. Now that was the entree to a bigger beginning that or a bigger story that you know came later. But um, but man, hard. You know, people say like, "Oh, good luck." You know, you have good luck. You have good luck. And I hear that. It's nice to hear. But like hard work. Meeting opportunity creates that sort of luck. It wasn't just dumb luck. You know, it's like you had to put in the work, put in the risk, put in the effort. And to answer your question earlier about the competition of proximity with catch being there, seafood, want to just throw steaks on a menu. New York City is the greatest place on planet Earth to me to do a business, any business. I don't care what it is. And I know you probably feel the same. You're a New Yorker mm-hmm. through and through. There's no place like it. In America, the volume of people, the, the, the just the energy, the 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 the, the possibilities are literally sure. endless. When you think about all these people making millions of dollars in their little corner on a street in New York City, or how much each apartment is, I mean, it's just mind blowing when you really think about it. So, you can only open another, you know, one catch maybe in Midtown of what we have, but another brand three blocks away that has a very different menu. But a similar mentality, it's probably one of the only cities in the world you can do that and not cannibalize yourself. Actually, the opposite. Saturday night, we opened a catch steak. And Saturday night at our original catch in its ninth year had more covers than ever before on any Saturday night it's ever had. Which is very good. And in Vegas and in L.A., all three that happened. The reason is because the promotion of catch steak the announcement, the excitement, the whatever it is, and all that stuff that's going around nationally and internationally breeds more business. So to me, it's like you're complementing your own business nationally uh, and locally. You're adding a new store to your repertoire without cannibalizing yourself. And I can do more in the same neighborhood I want to be in anyway. Mm. I can walk three blocks to work. It's a big deal you know, for our entire office, our chefs. Everyone's right there. As opposed to what? Go to London, open another catch, go to Miami, get on airplanes, get a deal with different time zones and management from far away in only short periods of time. Very hard to do that successfully. It looks cool on a business card to say he's in London and he's in this one and he's yeah, in that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost impossible to do. Here's, here's what I love about you and Eugene's story and everything that you created. You talk about Nicole Kidman, you talk about Lenny Kravitz, you talk about Diddy, you talk about all these superstars at your club at your guy's club. But meanwhile, the club comes to a point where it shuts down. So everything that looks good sometimes isn't good, meaning like it may have just not worked out. But then you look at something like Catch, nine years, which is very unheard of, Mm -hmm. meaning most restaurants, and you could throw some stat facts out there, what? One out of nine. First year? year. Nine out of 10 fail in the first year or 18 months, something like that. Clearly closed, literally. How did you deal with, because, you know, I'm sure, like anybody, you love success. You love, you love, you love crushing it. How the fuck did you deal with when it comes to a point where your your club got shut down? Well, not shut down. Like, explain, like, what exactly? You had had to just shut it down? Or 10 June? Well, you know, for starters, Nightclubs and restaurants are very different. I think um, my analogy on nightclubs is and versus restaurants is nightclubs are a newborn baby that never grow up. Mm. They're newborns the whole time. So you have to nurture them, care for them, cater to them, be on top of them, or they die. 
That's just a fact of nightclub business. Restaurants are more like a natural human being progression. Same story in the beginning. Nurture, care for, take care of, feed, do all that stuff. But as the restaurant gets older, if you survive, right, and you and you make it through, it becomes a, a human being of its own. It lives on its own. It's not about me personally. It's not about any one person. It's It's the venue. You don't necessarily even know. You probably have favorite restaurants. You probably don't know who the owner is or the chef. Sure. So as long as we have a good culture and we've done the right things in the beginning and set that tone and maintain it clearly, it lives off on its own. So restaurants can go on for 100 years. Nightclub's very rare. But 10 June had an eight-year run. It went through 08 and 09 with the crash. We opened another place on 14th Street and SL, Abe and Arthur's SL, 2008, we started construction. Lehman Brothers fell that day. These are learning experiences. But no, we didn't shut down Tenjun. Tenjun ran its course as a nightclub. Sure. We ran its course. We we did everything we wanted to do out of it. The deal wasn't the greatest. It was like a deal with an old partner. We then started opening 14th Street, two blocks away, competing against it, essentially, of our own thing. <laughs> you know, So there it was. But then we went on to another one and that lease ran out in Meatpacking District. It's still sitting there empty, but, you know, Apple is now our neighbor, and it wasn't ever before. And the rent skyrocketed, and it's only, it's not affordable, which pushed us to Catch. Catch is on the second, third, and fourth floor of a building. Why? Because we can get 15,000 square feet for the same price as 5,000 on the ground floor. Most people, most people uh, judged you guys when you uh, took that Catch location in New York City because it didn't have an entrance. Is that correct? It had a door. It had no ground floor presence whatsoever. And every restaurant you pretty much can name on your uh, uh, ever is a big ground floor thing. You walk past and say, I'm going to go there. Maybe because we were maybe because we were young and understood technology a little better than, say, older traditional restaurateurs. And maybe meaning like the use of the smartphone. You know, you got Google Maps and 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 all that, which will guide you to where you're going. You don't have to see it anymore. You don't have to like actually know the address or get reminded that you're going to read about it and you're just going to guide you to it. So I was like, a door is a door. Once they get to the door, yeah. they go in and they go up and now they're, it's an arrival moment. It's a, it's a surprise. I like that. And frankly, the real reason on top of everything is we love the location, 13th and 9th, it's a 10. Yeah. We knew what was coming down the pipe. Gansevoort Hotel just opened up. Yep. Standard was in yep. construction. Whitney Museum hadn't been on the map yet, but things were happening. Highline coming. I'm at the community boards. I hear what's happening. I hear what's coming into this neighborhood, and I see major retailers. Sephora's on the ground floor playing a million plus a month for 5,000, a million a year, whatever it was, for, for 5,000 square feet. That's not an affordable restaurant space, period. The whole meatpacking district went from affordable to unaffordable. So you either leave or... You go vertical. And vertical, I'm paying an affordable rent and in the space that I can make real money. Three three floors of of opportunity. And therefore, we could wrap our hands around getting a 400-seat restaurant in there, not a 190-seat sure. restaurant sure. paying. You, you'd be working for your landlord for your whole life. So, yeah, people thought we were nuts. People thought it was stupid. They understood what I was saying. Like, yeah, but it's unaffordable on the ground floor. Like, okay, but go to a def- different area that's affordable and get a ground floor space. We didn't. We didn't agree clearly. Mm. Mm. Hey, listen. Nine years later, 
I would think you prove uh, uh, proven a lot of people wrong. You know what? Let's take a quick break. Sitting down here with the entrepreneur, the restaurateur, a good fella, Mark Barbon. Uh, we'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Cheer. Hey, this is Eugene Rem, co-founder of Catch Restaurants and Rumble Boxing, and you're locked into the Premium Pete Show. Intense, and we're back sitting here with Mark Barbon. I, am I got it right now? You're very close. Fuck, I'm almost like You can call me Pear Tree. That's what it means in German. <laughs> you know, I'll I tell you, you know, we, we've been speaking about the rise of catch. Nine years, you know, your baby, you and Eugene Rem, and, and then the opening of Catch Steak, you know, why to open up a steakhouse, you know, and, and just really the restaurant business, you know, because you're an entrepreneur, a restaurateur, somebody who always got it, you know. Mm-hmm. Catch Steak opened up recently, and like I was saying, Michael Jordan was there. And a bunch of people were there. Is is, is does that ever not, not not that not that you're like a super fan of anything, but that, is that ever like weird to you that like some of the big like this is the goat of uh, basketball? Yeah. I mean, I love LeBron, but Jordan like no, it's is a that totally ever different. Weird? You know what it is? It's childhood versus adulthood. Yeah, heroes, right? Like LeBron, you saw him when you were older. Michael Jordan, we saw when we were kids. Yeah, and you know. To this day, I actually got sat next to um, him at a dinner in Las Vegas like five years ago. And I randomly got to be the person next to him. And uh, for the first time ever, I realized that I was starstruck because my personality and my ability to communicate and be myself (laughs) was gone. I had nothing. I stumbled words. I I had nothing to to, – I could banter with the best of them. Him – and he was t- completely fine. Couldn't be nicer. It was nothing into, like, welcoming. He wasn't rude. Nothing. He was the best. But I just couldn't get myself to settle. He's just too epic mm. as a child. I'm now sitting next to him. I don't know who else I think that way about. Tim Cook was in the other night. He he was, he was intimidated me, too. Yeah. I could I could get on with anybody. But I, Tim Cook sitting in my restaurant the other night with Kevin Durant, actually. You know, they were like, you know, wow. You know, this is like a... You know, you you you're you're a guy that you know. You grew up in New York. You're in the mix, you know, and and you know, obviously, a lot of these like that's a cool thing about it, a lot of these people have become your friends. It's not it's not just some fan based thing. But did you ever you ever take a moment to realize like that how far you've come? Yeah, from a kid from Long Island who knew nothing about nothing and nobody. Um, Do you remember when you took that moment? Like I've taken them a bunch of times. I took it most recently, I think, you know, just when I looked at the past week and I thought, all right, we opened a steakhouse in Manhattan, New York City, probably one of the largest restaurants in the country. Who's come in to have dinner? And the list of people are, you know, titans of industry, the most powerful people, CEO of Goldman Sachs, CEO of Jeffries, CEO of Apple, Michael Jordan, who's a CEO in his own right, Tillman. Your business partner. You know, but like hosting you know the mayor was on the way the other day like like him or not like it doesn't matter just the fact that it's possible i only thing i don't like about the mayor is that he ate uh, pizza with a fork and knife you know <laughs> i was like come on man just fucking fold it like a glove yeah you know he follows the directions like all of us you know this is gonna make you look good this is gonna make you look bad again good advice bad advice whatever but again so you you saying you know well, it's just you know i sit there and i'm like you know and i tell my dad about these people that are coming here and then of course we have the our friends and our families and our you know our typical following of like you know pretty girls and and celebrities and athletes and the ceo of the nets and durant's been twice and deandre in and mellow 
Mello and what does your dad? Uh, what does your dad and Serge Ibaka twice? You know, Mom like, say about all these relationships because they. Here's the thing, and and, and <clears throat> I was just saying it, but you've been cool with a lot of these people for a long time. Again, this is not something that they just drifted. Yeah. Okay. So your mom has got a chance to meet, or your dad. Like what? What? Did, my did, parents were really psyched at my birthday in Beverly Hills, you know, where I'm living now. I had like a birthday uh, with my girlfriend in the backyard, and like Lindsey Vaughn came, and like <laughs> you know, like that was. They were. My mom was freaking out. You know, it's like she was like, "Go to the Olympian. This is unbelievable." You know, it's like you know that made it. You know, and I love Lindsey. She's like yeah. the greatest. You know, Lisa Silverstone is over there, and you know whoever. But like, I I don't know. I think I've. Partially become desensitized, but sure. also I very much am aware of branding of both myself, the restaurant, a business, and it's all very different things. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be as a persona in the restaurant and in the business world? Um, and they're two different things. I like having my girlfriend and the kids in the house. This is a very good chapter for me of my life of change from 40 on, right? Um very different from Manhattan living, you know, moving around, moving around, hustling only yeah. about work. At some point, you got to look back and say, look, my parents aren't getting any younger. My nieces are getting older quick. I'm sitting here by myself, successful or not. The success is not uh, measured to me by how many stores we've opened, how successful they're, how much money we've made, any of those things. It's part of it because you want to be uh, winning versus losing, but. It's a full 360, and I've always been a very family-oriented person. I, like I said, my parents are still married. I come from a close, close, close family. We speak every day, every day. Sure, same likewise. So to not have that aspect is, was troubling to me, and I'm fortunate to have it now. But when it comes to like the people in the restaurant and the success or taking a moment, my moments have changed. My moments in the nightclub business, watching celebrities walk around the room and or big people spend big money with sparklers and stuff. I was like, yes, I've made it. And then you morph. You get a little older. You get a little wiser. You become like, all right, we've done that. Now I see it as a big package. All things have to click. And the stress about that may have increased because now my, my goals are much more substantial and they have a lot more um, kind of layers to them. So it's never just about who's in the restaurant or what the sales were or if we got good press or if people like the food. It's also about how am I giving back to a community? How am I treating our employees great? Uh, you know, the fact that we hired 300 people at this new restaurant is mind-blowing. That um, That's my moment. Standing in the trainings facility that we rented down the block on 14th Street next door to our first restaurant and looking at, you know, 300 people learning in groups and talking to them all and getting applause to each other. That... That is a feeling of we've made it or we're doing something great. All these people are living off of that. When did your parents, you know, obviously you spoke about your dad being a, a successful uh, entrepreneur and believing in you and, 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 and not just handing you something, kind of like, hey, look, you want to do something, give me a plan, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work it with you. When did you think he or mom or both of them thought that, all right, my, my, son, my son made it or, or my son is – Doing his thing because you know I realize and tell me if I'm um my mother sometimes she still doesn't understand what the fuck I do yeah and even okay you, you may own a club right and there was like a lot of celebrities in there but they're like oh, you know they may be like oh I own some sort of little club or I own you know what I mean meanwhile this yeah could, this could be something that you're shaking the world like catch has has really etched 
a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I think my parents thought I made it, if that's a thing, um, when they were at the country club uh, out in Long Island and, like, their friends were coming up to him saying, like, can you help us get a reservation at that restaurant? You know, <laughs> they, they were psyched about that. Um, but, you know, it's funny. Like, I work my whole life to impress or make my parents proud or happy. That's kind of, like, always been the motivation of, like, crossroads of life happens all the time. A decision can be made that can derail you and screw you up and land you in prison. Who knows? Um, and that decision could make you better and on the right path. At each one of those crossroads, they were always in my mind, right? Like, would my mother approve of this? Would my father be proud of that? Like, that's how I raise you. So... I'm not a perfect person by any means. I've made bad decisions yeah. along the way. I've done things that they wouldn't be proud of. But ultimately, the goal has always been, would they be proud of me? Now, when I've done things that I think they are very proud of, which has been many things, fortunately, from a young age, um, once they tell me, this is really great, it's really terrific, I'm so proud of you, I'm so impressed, I'm so happy, it's a second long. I go, thank you, great, and I move on. The reward of that is is like lifetime and then you'll probably instill it in your own kids to do the same thing that you've been trying to do but the war it's like winning a lottery i think people you're like if you won the lottery you'd be the happiest person on earth and you hear a lot of people are depressed after or you know the moment comes and goes like this your wedding night your bar mitzvah whatever these big nights were they're 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 a flash so i think it's just a marathon again of like doing the best you can to not just do the right thing but also keep your parents happy and proud for you to feel like you're doing the right thing, better the world in some way if you can, and make some money while you're doing it is a is a bonus. You can't beat that. You know, one thing you said that really struck out to me was about you getting in a relationship, um, and and she with your girlfriend, uh, Tori, yeah, Tori Praver. Yeah, might, you got that right. See, okay, Tori Praver, uh, first well, try. She's a, she's a woman. You got to get it right, right? Yeah. No, you know, and her having kids, and you literally almost like kind of like having, well, not saying kind of having a family, and you know, it's funny because when I first time I got married, you know, my uh, wife at the time she had kids already, mm -hmm. and I didn't, and it was how old were they? Uh, five and uh, like two, similar, yeah, and it was different for me, especially moving around. The point, the point I'm making with this is. I watch, you know, I watch, I watch you, you know, obviously we all keep, you know, track of each other on social and you're able to see people's lives. And, you know, it's, it looks like you stepped into something where it makes you happy, you know, where, and not a lot of people who are successful realize that because you could, I, you know, I, I know a lot of successful people, they may be with this girl, this girl, and then they come home and then they're lonely, you know, and it's funny how you mentioned that you come from a family and then, you know, so obviously you would only want to be, have your own or, 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 or be a part of. And even, so it's special to see that, you know, you're kind of channeling not to just be successful and like, kind of like this guy who has everything or has things and then kind of be lonely. Because people don't, I'm sure you know, like a lot of people who are successful. Sure. They turn the key at night and no one's there. Yeah. Because it's the way they chose it. You know, there's a lot of sad stories and there's a lot of good stories. I, I, I follow my own story of like where it works. You can't force it. You know, you can't say, oh, this is now time to do this so I can check that box. Opportunities present themselves. I go into things not blind, but with an open mind. Um, the fact that I met a girl 
at this time of my life. She happens to have two kids. Some people say, wow, that must have been so difficult, or oh, that must have scared you off, or how can you handle that? I just thought, this is if this is the person that I love, it's mm. all of them. Mm. Fortunately, I'm in a place where I felt like I could be a good uh, caretaker or or an influence and a you know sure. figure in their lives sure. at this age, or one and a half and three, that I felt confident for myself, which I probably wouldn't have been ten years ago or five years ago for that matter. But at the right time, the right place, the universe or whatever anybody wants to call it presents you with opportunities, and you either seize them and appreciate it all. Or you fuck it up, you know. I don't know. <laughs> Amen. But but you can't. Again, there's no crystal ball and there's no guarantee. No, you but don't. but you got to do what feels good to you. And my my uncle Bill, who shout out Uncle Bill, shout out to Uncle Bill, who oh, the best joke teller in the in the in the world. Very successful in his own career. Um, but you know, he said when we were in college, he said, "If you love what you do, you never go to work a day in your life." And that's not his quote, but he told it to us. So to me, it's his. Now, what did that mean? It meant that follow your dream or your heart or what is you know making you feel good about what you're doing on a daily basis, whatever that is. Money, success, that's one way of judging it. But being happy and enjoying it, you're not going to work. People ask me, you're going on vacation. I say, from what? And ultimately, when I like talk to kids or give advice, and I'm like, you know, I got into this business for two reasons. Number one, I hated waking up early in the morning and I hated an alarm clock. Hate it. I'm getting better at it now with kids that wake me up as the alarm clock and fingers in my eyes. But <laughs> forever, as long as I can remember, I just did not want to go into a job, if that's what it was, that forced me to get up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and commute or do any of that shit. No way. I also loved staying up late at night, so I felt like nighttime businesses where I'm feeling my best energy and all that stuff is better for me. And the second reason is because I always thought the TGIF Friday was bullshit. I thought it was a bullshit statement. It meant that you hated your week and you loved Friday, which means you love Saturday and you hate Sunday night, which is me in school, which was me in my first job and only job. What job was that? I was selling life insurance, ultimately. I mastered it saying I'm in finance, but ultimately I sold life insurance and health insurance, which I was good at, by the way. But it had nothing. To, it's not what I loved. It had no passion. I just paid my bills to live in the city by myself, and that's what I did for three years. But if I can get rid of the feeling of like psyched for the weekend and miserable on Sunday night because I got to get up early in the morning for work, how could I do that? And that's and I landed myself into this business, which I've never felt that way since, not once, where I was looking forward to a Friday because it's the weekend off. I don't have off. I don't have on. Mm. I just live all of it seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's fine with me. You know, with catch... You and Eugene brought on a partner, and I remember uh, Eugene telling the story how he was in the restaurant and you sat down with him. And you know, sometimes you hear so many stories that the deal doesn't go through. You know what I mean? Like it's like, okay, well, he has some interest, or maybe you guys were interested, or maybe and it just didn't work out. You know, having somebody like Tillman Fatita, right? Uh, am I saying his last name right? Yeah, you got it. What the fuck? Let me mine. say that again one more time. Having somebody like Tillman Fatita, who is Houston uh, Rockets owner, him and his son Patrick. I mean, uh, uh, this guy. I, I see him. All, I really admire that, like so, dad and son. Like yeah. you know, and it, it really does. Whenever I see them around, I never met them. Um, I, like I was telling you off air, I know Bun is uh, you know knows him and speaks very highly of them. Mm-hmm. You know, 
having them come in and take a big chunk of it, but then progress it. As soon as they came in, I feel like it even you guys have done a great job all these years, and it just kind of like put them on steroids. And then Vegas, you know, and then now catch steak. And, you know, what does that mean to you to have a partner like Tillman? It means the world. Um, you're 100% right. A lot of conversations happen with a lot of people about doing things in business together that, you know, I would say 90% don't come to fruition. Even at the finish line, they fall apart. Tillman has been... Um, First and foremost, a great partner because he's a man of his word. So I'm going to do something with you boys, and I'm going to do it, and this is how it's going to work. And that's exactly what happened. Second, um, you know, it's put us in a position of uh, strength, right? Like you got a partner who has a lot of infrastructure, and he's got obviously money behind him. And if there's something that's good, like a catch stake opportunity. The old version of us would be very scared. It's like, oh, my God, there's key money and there's huge build-out expense. And, you know, call it a $10, $11 million investment, cash. You're not getting loans on this stuff, which means we're going to have to scramble and raise money bit by bit by bit, probably not raise at all, and then put our own money into it, which is what we did for every single project we had. And pretty much put ourselves on the line of either success or bankrupt every single time, which nobody really appreciates. We did. Very much so. But um, with Tillman, that structure changed. Now we have one investor partner. We make good decisions with his help, with his guidance, with his expertise and his team. And we're not running around like lunatics raising money you know, and getting unfocused. Instead, we're just money's there. It's ready to go. We hire the right uh, you know, people. We hire the right designer, the right construction team. We vet. We oversee, we do, and it's efficient. So it's a miracle, basically, to have, um, especially in our industry. And Patrick, who we've now known for five, six years, um, you know, I was just with them this past week. We spent a bunch of time together. And it's been great to watch him come into his own and become like a man. Sure. He was a boy when I met him. And he's been groomed, and he's been doing a terrific job. He's really focused on the rocket stuff, and he loves it. What's not to like? It's the greatest business on planet Earth. Sure. Owning an NBA team, especially, especially the Rockets, they're a great team. Amazing, 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 amazing. So, being able to be part of that, and even just a fly in the wall, talking basketball with the players in the you know stadium sure. or or at the you know I was at UCLA with them and you know at the practice facility and just like this is fantasy living. It really is. It's amazing. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for us. I'm happy everyone's enjoying themselves. And now let's hope that you know the world stays stable. And it's Houston. You know, uh, Houston is a great city that supports. Right? It's one thing I love. The first time I ever went down to Houston, being a New York kid, I was like, I always, I always use this analogy that if you get a, a, a Maybach Benz and we drive it through New York or Brooklyn where I grew up, people are like, oh, who's that, Pete? Like, oh, I think he owes me $20 from like 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Like, look at him, big shot now. And in Houston, they may say, like, man, I'm proud of you. Let me fill up your tank for the first time. Mm-hmm. Any possibilities to open up a catch in Houston? There's a possibility. Um, right now, we're just getting the steakhouse open, but everything's possible. You know, you have a partner like that. He's got hundreds of restaurants and a big shout to his new book, right? Shut yeah. Up and Listen. Shut Up and Listen. It's a great book, man. I started to read it. Video of that one. Yeah. Um, no, but Shut Up. Uh, the, the, he just did the book launch for Shut Up and Listen yep. at, at Catch Steak. And, you know, you see the people that are coming out getting signed books and all that stuff. It's terrific to see, but it's, it's an interesting book. The the possibilities of the partner like Landry's as a company and Tillman as a 
as an individual are literally endless. But what I've learned in life so far is that it's not about the opportunities that you take. It's the ones that you pass on, right? Mm. So you got to be careful. Like you wish for success. You wish for people to come to you and say, I got a deal for you. I got a deal for you. And you think, well, well, wow, take them all and we'll just grow. You do that, you implode. So I think it's just as valuable, if not more so, to pass on a lot of things that are distractions and really focus on the things that are going to make a safe, smart bet on, which is still are as safe and as smart as they seem to be. They're bets. The whole thing's a gamble. Yeah. There's no guarantee. So less is more. And I think, you know, slow and steady wins the race. And we've we've really taken that approach for the last five years, I'd say. You know, one thing I really like about uh, uh, Tillman and his book, this guy's a billionaire. You don't need the multi-billionaire. Money. Yeah, I'm saying you don't need the fucking money no. to. Uh, so, so, so that book is filled with knowledge because the guy, the guy's and free general, knowledge. Yeah, but what I'm saying is it's not like he's like, hey, you know, like for instance, like if, if if somebody like is putting out something and they're not really, you know, a book, you know, it's like they're like, hey, hopefully I make some money with this. Or, or it could be successful to make money. I could go around and do uh, book tours and make money. There's money in it. Well, what you're describing is almost everybody in the world is doing things for that result. You get a Tillman doing something without the gun to your head. If you get you, this, has to be a success, and now go burn and turn it. He's doing something not for money, which to me is usually way more authentic sure. than. Oh, I got. I'm on a TV show, so now I'm going to pump out a book and just make yeah. more money on my merch. Yeah. No. No. This is something where he feels, I guess in my opinion, I can't say speak for him, but in all the things I've been listening to say, it's rare to become a billionaire. There's only a few of them in the whole world and in the country. I mean, you know, it's actually a list, you know, it's like a list that you can count. So the fact that he's willing to do that and offer his story, that doesn't mean everyone has to be a billionaire, by the way. It's just be the best version of what you might be with some knowledge from someone who's done it very, very well. So he's authentic. He's an authority in the subject. And he speaks raw, and it's not for a quick buck, that's for sure. Yeah. So He's, uh, you know, it's funny. We're giving him so much promo, man. You, tell me, you better come on the show, okay? <laughs> um, he, he would, by the way. Yeah, he's yeah. happy to talk to everybody. He's been press tour like Marlon Wayans style. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people <laughs> listening, obviously, you know, we've been going over the journey. Catch, you know, all the nightclubs, your family, yourself, you, you know, uh, learning, you know, and, and again, you, you know, obviously we know you're not perfect, but you've been learning to kind of like find yourself in places, especially, you know, being around somebody, learning to be loved and at an older age. And But one thing that I think people love talking to restaurateurs, entrepreneurs about is advice. You know, somebody listening now who has like a little bagel store or somebody listening that has the hopes to open a restaurant or any young entrepreneur that is still stuck and you know, but but would love some advice. What some what some advice you would give anyone looking to get into uh, a young kid or a young you know uh, um, partners like you know a couple partners that wanted to get into the restaurant business. Uh, whether it's restaurants or anything, frankly, well, business uh, because you know if I'm speaking to like the future restaurant tours or nightclub owners out there, I'd say. Pick something else. No. <laughs> uh, um, don't compete with me or else. No, I, I would say, you know, be authentic and and be true to what you're really – you have to have a point of view and it has to be unique. You can't just copy and paste and you can't do what others have done. You have to find your own lane and that comes with imagination. And I think that if you love something 
truly, and you really have passion for it inside of you, then don't be afraid to stifle it, um, but try to nurse it and grow it. And it takes a long time. People talk to me now like I started yesterday. We started, I started when I was 18, 17 years old, as far as I'm concerned, in the hospitality business and making mm-hmm. dollars off of that. In Ithaca College, I ran a nightclub there, and I put a Wednesday night chills night with Mark B. Presents on the print shop flyer that I made at Kinko's. Um, you know, 18 to enter, 21 to drink, dressed to impress, that kind of flyer. Have it on my wall somewhere. Um, and I was 19 or 20 years old making money off of a door charge. And then that, then what, and then what, and then what? You need stepping stones and everything. To go from A to Z is what I like to do, but it's impossible. You have to go through the whole process. You got to try and fail. You got to try and make it hard. If it's easy, then it's not worth doing. So, you know, going after a project we're going after right now in LA, for example, as much as we've accomplished, I'm still selling selling, convincing, explaining, showing how we could be different from that guy who's bigger than us still. There's always someone bigger. There's always someone better. There's always someone who's, you know, maybe more experienced than you. But there's a first shot many times in life. So if your first shot is a small bagel shop like you're talking about in your neighborhood, that's your first shot and you did it. That means your next thing is another new first shot. You may take the knowledge you have and apply it, but you're right back in the same boat of your, you know, life on the line and to ever think that things come easy well then it's just not real so mm-hmm. nothing is easy the harder it is and the deals that we've gotten that are the hardest to get where we have to fight community boards and battle and go to the SLA to plead our case to get what we wanted aka catch me packing district mm-hmm. it's, they're always been our most successful the things that sort of were like silver plattered to us in the past are least successful or failures mm-hmm. so what does it tell you an easy deal is probably not a good deal. Someone else knew something that you didn't know, and they're giving it to you and running. So authenticity is big for me. Having a soul comes only from ownership and like your culture that you're creating, and then that soul grows. And I think we've all seen places that were great, then they got bought, or a new ownership came in, and it's terrible. I don't ever want to be that. So we stay involved, every aspect, from the big to the smallest decisions. Mm. Amen. What's next for Mark Bourbon? I'm going to go back to L.A. Okay. Go hug and kiss the crew. Catch L.A. is uh, fantastic. I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but my sister just went there recently, and um, she had a tremendous time. It's beautiful. It's great to have a restaurant where it's like the who's a who there. But then also in just your regular people. Yeah, it's the perfect salad, you we know? call it. Every and, one of our places. And some of those regular people are very special. Oh, Don't yeah. think only because someone's a star is very special. I think you've been able to do a great job, you and Eugene, and now Tillman, is to fill the seats with a diversity of a, a diversified group of people that just love food and that love culture and, yeah. and whatever that is. And, and, and listen, everybody feeds off of each other. And when I say the perfect salad, it's like if it was just a whole thing of croutons – it's not a salad. It's not good. Sure. It's a failure. If it's just croutons and tomatoes, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. You need the lettuce, the majority, the base. That's the crowds, right? And guess what? The croutons sit on top of that in some way, and they're mixed in, and it all works. Without the lettuce, 
they're all just staring at each other with nobody around. Absolutely. I don't want that. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, keep up with Mark on Instagram, Mark, M-A-R-K-B-I-R-N-B-A-U-M. Keep up with on Instagram. Listen, if you've never been to catch, okay, come. Go to Vegas, go to New York and L.A., a catch steak right now, three blocks down in the meatpacking district in New York. And, and and there's a lot of other things. I mean, I know you invest in a lot of companies. I know you do a lot of charity. Um, you know, it, it, it's funny because I was like, you know, when I started off this episode, I said with Eugene, you know, we had Eugene on and says, you know, how can we not have the other head to, the, the other head of the monster on who has done a lot of things that's been inspiring to watch from afar? Um, and I'll be honest with you, too, a lot of people who uh, I feel are respected people speak very highly of you. Thank I've you. heard. I'm, well, I appreciate I mean, I'm it. sure some people say, hey, he's a douche. You know, yeah. I get called a douche. What are you going to do? <laughs> Got to be a dick to someone sometimes. <laughs> now, listen, listen. I think you're, you're, you're I'm, I'm proud to see, you know, what you guys have done, but I think sometimes people don't even realize this, that you're also an inspiration to a lot of other people. Uh, not necessarily to do the same thing, but just anything. Well, I want to tell you one thing that, you know, from the charity perspective, that's super important to me anyway. You know, we we do well in a new city like Los Angeles, for example. We go into this West Hollywood location. We crush it. Wonderful. Okay. And then I hear, you know, about the amount of homelessness that's in Los Angeles specifically everywhere. But the highest rate in California is in L.A. of teens, out of over 18 homeless Sex trafficking is going on three blocks from where we're making money and they're successful, where the richest people are living all around it. And right in the middle of Hollywood, you've got horrible things going on. Horrible. Things that you think about are in foreign countries. Sex trafficking of 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, gay, straight, lesbian, doesn't matter. Terrible things happening. And I started really learning about this with the Covenant House. Coincidentally, we're in the Maritime Hotel, which was the Covenant House in New York City. But in Los Angeles, I'm sorry, catch steak space. In Los Angeles, the Covenant House I'm working with, I'm going to be doing a charity event with Zach Braff, Jamie Foxx, Marlon Wayans, myself, my girlfriend, Tori, um, and a few other people um, on the corporate side to build a new tower for the Covenant House who houses 18 to 20-something, young 20s, to once they're thrown out of the system, the foster system and the government-sponsored system is good until 18. I wouldn't say it's good, but it's there. After 18, see you later. And I don't know, if you think about yourself at 18 years old, with parents, with a house over your head, with food, with with a couple dollars in your pocket and an education, you still were a fuck up at 18. Mm. Now take out all that stuff and now you're just thinking about where am I sleeping and eating? What exactly are your options in this world at 18, 19, 20 years old? And the Covenant House gives them exactly that, takes that stress off their plate. I'm going to feed you, I'm going to house you, and I'm going to get you educated, and I'm going to teach you how to get a job, how to do an interview. I'm going to give you medical attention. People have never been to the dentist in their lives. You walk in brilliant as you can be with fucked up teeth, it's going to be hard for you in life. Sure. So psychological help, all those things are being donated at the Covenant House, but clearly not enough space for all of them. Can't save the world in one day, but at least we're going to build this tower for a million bucks. So if you want to send a million dollars to me, you let me know on Instagram. But I'm going to put up a, I'm going to put up a, uh, a link soon um, when it gets closer to the date to build this facility, which will hold another you know 20 kids, um, times 365 days a year, times the next hundred years, just to get them off the wait list. And that wait list hit me hard 
we were doing at Catch uh, uh, in L.A., training session for the kids at the Covenant House who wanted to learn how to be in the restaurant business. And we have that opportunity. Taud Group also works with them, and they've done a terrific job in hiring a lot of these dishwasher positions, uh, busser, runner positions, early entry-level positions, of which I can speak with certainty that the line cook, the dishwasher, the runner, the busser has become a chef, a sous chef, a manager, a server, they've gone up and up and up and are making six-figure salaries. So I have no problem saying, get me into this, get you guys into this program because we hire those people who aren't necessarily sophisticated Cornell graduates. Um, And they make something of themselves. They need the opportunity. So one of the best kids that was, in my eyes, one of the ones that were going to be a star doesn't show up day two. Why? I call. What happened? His roommate didn't get back in. He was on the wait list. They were very close went out onto the street that night and was murdered at 19. The fuck? Crazy. So to me, charities are great for cancer. Charities are great for AIDS. Charities are great for Africa. Charities are great for everywhere that had a storm. I hear you. It's horrible. Can't keep up. But if we can make an impact on kids that are living in our backyard that literally are waiting on a wait list to go to sleep and not get murdered at night or sex trafficked or or they're going to wind up robbing someone just because they have no other choice, what can we do? And that, I think, Covenant House National Organization, by the way, just I happen to be doing it for the one in Los Angeles because that's their project. But it's a huge deal. That's special. Let me tell you, man. Uh, Mark Bourbon, restaurateur, entrepreneur, and a good fellow. Uh, see, you know, I, I really like hearing things like that, man. It was great to have you on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for Thank having you, me. Buddy. Greatly right. appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Internet, Mark Bourbon. Thank you. Cheers. Internet, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me. At the premium at gmail.com. Again, that email is the premium at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the premium Pete Email me at the premium at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms of podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer. Internets, thank you for listening to the Premium Pete Show. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did, you know what? Email us, thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com. Or hit us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Premium Pete and at Premium Pete Show. And if you want, if you're an advertiser, if you're a big brand, little brand, it doesn't matter. Let's talk, okay? We got a lot of things going on. Maybe we could work with each other. Email us at thepremiumpetshow at gmail.com. Again, Email show at gmail.com. Okay, let's talk about anything. Producing, you got certain guests you want to get on, you're an artist uh, manager. Let's talk, okay? Internets, I hope you enjoyed that episode, and I'll see you next episode. Peace and blessings. Cheers.